Benjamin Franklin once said, In wine there is wisdom, in beer there is freedom, and in water there's bacteria. No bacteria here. This is On the Back Bar, hosted by Christopher Menning, an industry expert, author, and bartender who's been in the industry for over a decade. On the Back Bar is your gateway to talking to the people behind the scenes at bars, distilleries, and vineyards around the world. We'll talk to the experts in the industry about future trends, people, spirits, cocktails, wine, and everything else. So kick your feet up, pour your favorite drink, and hang out on the back bar. This is Christopher Menning. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining me on the Bad Bar Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Zach Lister. Uh, he's from Bodega Brands, and we're going to talk all about tequila, uh, cold-pressed juices, and about his entrepreneurial journey into the beverage. So, Zach, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I really appreciate having me on, and uh, looking forward to discussing everything tequila and juice-related. Yeah, brilliant, man. And um, I know we talked about it before, but for the audience, where are you currently calling from? Uh, right now I'm in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and I've been in traveling, uh, over the past few weeks between a number of different States here as we, um, open up a bunch of markets in the U S with our Hetro tequila soda. So, uh, been a bit of a traveling salesman. Right. (laughs) And I, I, I hate to talk about it, but I guess it's, um, a hot topic right now, but how's the COVID situation over there? I know the States have really rolled out the vaccine quite fast. Uh, everybody's common theme for Florida is what COVID. Um, right. <laughs> I was just, I was surprised coming here because you've heard from people that Florida is just wide open, Miami especially, uh, of, of the lifestyle down here where people are, are just uh, really um, taking it, you know, not as seriously as they are in other parts of the country. But there's another part of me that says, you know, people got to live their lives. And if, if, if those choose to go out, want to go out, then they can. And and uh, if you don't want to take part in those activities, you don't have to. So, um, yeah, it's it's been really eye-opening being down here. I mean, I've been traveling for the past eight months, so I've gotten to see the, how COVID has affected uh, different parts and different regions between Mexico and Canada and the U.S. And, um, you know, it's interesting to see everywhere. It's kind of everywhere has a little bit of a different feel. Uh, the people have a bit of a different uh um, you know, reaction to it, depending on where you are, depending on, um, you know, how the governments or the states or the provinces treat the, um, you know, the communities. And uh, it's been interesting for me having the having been fortunate enough to travel a lot during the pandemic, uh, just to see how, how everyone's reacting to it. Mm, for sure, for sure. Well, I hope you're staying safe and everyone else you know is as well. Um, let's leave COVID for now and uh, jump into <laughs> the entrepreneurship and beverage side. So tell us about Bodega Brands. How did that start? How did you get into that? Well, my background is in actually cold-pressed juice. I started a company about six years ago based in Canada, pretty much from the ground up. So a friend of mine, we just we saw an opportunity to enter the category when uh, there's a lot of excitement surrounding cold-pressed juice with the likes of um, Suja, which was acquired by Coca-Cola and Evolution Fresh, which I think was eventually bought by Starbucks. And it was right around that time where I saw an opportunity in Canada to start a cold-pressed juice brand. And 
um, a friend of mine pretty much rolled up our sleeves. We bought a couple of, uh, of countertop cold pressed juice machines and we really just started to build the business organically from the ground up and um, just taught me a lot about, uh, you know, the beverage space, the cold pressed juice category. Uh, we grew that business over the course of a three year span and to become the largest cold pressed juice brand distributed across Canada. And um, so that was really where I, I sort of developed my passion for, um, you know, not just cold pressed juice, but for the beverage category and, and really innovating within the beverage category. I think cold pressed juices, um, you know, they, they seem to be, um, you know, a really good sort of kickoff point for a lot of innovation within the category when you see a lot of, you know, different companies coming out with superfood, superfood functional beverages, probiotic beverages. Um, there's still a lot of activity in cold pressed juice. And, and ultimately, that was what uh, led me into what we're doing now with Bodega Brands was effectively creating a platform to continue to develop really cool, innovative brands, uh, both in the alcohol and non-alcoholic spaces. And uh, right now, we have two products underneath our umbrella. We have Echo Tequila Soda, which is a premium 100% Blue Agave Tequila Soda. And we also have a cold-pressed juice product called Drink Arte, which is designed for the food service industry. Okay, fantastic. Um, and I guess we'll talk about both uh, individually, but um, it'd be really great to hear about um, actually the development process. Like um, there must be a lot of product testing, uh, a lot of analysis as well. Can you tell us what that's like? Yeah, I, you know, with, with, with any product, whether it's a food or a beverage or, you know, clothing product, anything requires a lot of, um, you know, a lot of upfront work prior to actually bringing anything to market. And I think for us, uh, that that's always been very important is we don't want to rush through the product development process. Um, we want to make sure that, you know, what we do bring to market is something that we feel is going to be very appealing to uh, the demographics that we want to cater to. And I think we've really done a good job at that with, uh, with Echo Tequila Soda specifically being that the, you know, the ready to drink, canned cocktail category is just going through an absolute uh, frenzy of activity right now um, where you see brands coming out left, right, and center. And, you know, it's at this point, it's kind of like, when's it going to stop? Um, and at, we don't really know at, you know, when things are going to slow down. It, it just seems like everything's with the, with restrictions getting lifted and uh, with um, you know, with vaccinations rolling out, I mean, people are continuing to, um, you know, to kind of open up their doors and open up their horizons to these, these canned cocktail opportunities. And so um, we're just trying to, uh, to keep the pace with the rest of the category at this point. But the one thing that, you know, we continually uh, stand behind is the quality of our product. And, and I think at the end of the day, it, it, it's something that we feel very proud of. Um, you know, we're one of the only canned cocktails that uses a premium 100% blue agave tequila in the can. And, you know, it's just those little things. I think that when it comes to product development, um, you have to make these decisions to say, you know, what type of emphasis are you going to place on quality, on integrity, on the authenticity of what you're putting in the can? And that was always something that took a, a very high uh, importance level for us. That's great. And you've actually spent quite a bit of time in Mexico as well, right? Trying to nail this too. Yeah, so I spent a good part of the last six months down in Guadalajara, Jalisco. Uh, I really fell in love with the region the first time I went down there to check out some distilleries. So I always say, you know, it's been a great excuse to be able to spend time down there. 
um, being in the tequila industry now. And uh, we've forged some amazing relationships. We have some great partners down in the region. And, um, you know, we do all of our all of our mixing and canning as well in Guadalajara. So everything that we do in terms of the um, the operational component and developing the product is all done in Mexico. That, that's fantastic. It's good to hear. Um, I'm interested. Was it very much a case of going down and knocking on doors saying, hey, I'm, I'm planning to do this product? What do you reckon? Or did you have contacts already lined up? Yeah, you know, it always helps to have warm introductions, especially when you're going into regions or parts of the world that you're not as familiar with. Uh, I know you're in you're in Thailand and, you know, Mexico and, you know, there's a lot of areas of the world that are very appealing to people. But um, sometimes it's hard to enter the space if you don't have, you know, the right contacts. But we were fortunate to get introduced to um, some really good folks down there. In fact, uh, one of a, a good family friend of mine from Calgary, Alberta, had purchased a distillery in Tequila, Mexico. And that was really what allowed me to get down there initially was sort of the, the introduction to him. Um, he had just bought a very well-known family-run distillery in Tequila. And I went down there and I visited the distillery. And uh, that was really when I caught the bug for the region. And really when we decided that at that point, we were going to just go full steam ahead on developing this product. Great. Well, let's talk about it. Like, um, so tequila in a can sounds great. Um, let's talk about the specifications. Uh, what percentage is it firstly? So it's a 5% ABV, pretty standard for the, uh, you know, the beer and can cocktail space. Now, um, you see other, some products, uh, in and around 4%, you see some a little higher. Uh, again, that was the decision that we made at 5%, which we felt was going to be uh, an optimal uh, percentage for the sessionability of our beverage. And I think right now, when you look at the, the category as a whole, um, it's all about you know, creating, creating these occasions for consumers to enjoy products and settings, whether it's you know, outside at the beach, at the pool, outside in your backyard, um, and really just giving people the opportunity to have a good sessionable experience. Um, I, the, I love that the, word, sessionable. It's a great yeah, word. Yeah, you know, the, the last thing you want to see with a product is someone drink one and then put it off to the side and grab something else, right? And that was always something that was extremely important for us in, in the product development phase was we wanted to create a, a product that you could enjoy throughout, you know, over the course of the day and, and not have to think about switching to anything else. Um, I think a lot of us these days are looking for alternatives to beer and wine and sugary drinks. Um, and so when you do come across something that you feel fits your lifestyle, uh, that's where we really want to really want to fit in and, and ultimately deliver. Yeah, I completely agree. So was there a lot of tequila tasting in the process? Yeah, you know, we did quite a bit of work um, on that front because again, our our canned cocktail is a spirit forward beverage, um, meaning that we don't have any artificial flavors or sweeteners or colors. Um, we wanted it to be a tequila first and everything else second. Um, and so that was really important for us when it came to developing the profile of our Blanco tequila and making sure that it was a profile that we felt was, um, you know, a, a friendly product that people who were either fans of tequila or not fans of tequila would be able to enjoy. Um, and I think because we took the approach of being a spirit forward versus a flavor forward, 
Um, it was definitely something that took us some time in terms of developing the profile uh, with our distillery partners down in Mexico. And, and we definitely, uh, we did our fair share of tasting, but we landed on a, a, a batch that we really liked. And, um, you know, the beautiful thing about the, the tequila industry or any spirit industry is that, um, you know, I, I always find that, you know, when you're doing these kind of smaller batches and working with kind of more craft producers, um, the profiles might not always be the same from one batch to another, right? And that I think is what um, gives these craft cocktails a, a, a really unique edge is that, you know, we know that they're high quality, but um, at the same time, you know, from one batch of agave to another, there may be some slight differences in taste or profile. And, and we actually, in fact, we enjoy that. We think that's going to be what, uh, what helps to uh, continue to set us apart in the category. Yeah, brilliant, brilliant. So uh, what's your sort of uh, route to market? What's the aim here? Is this mostly on off-trade? Uh, it has been over the course of the past uh, six months. But again, you know, being down here in, in Florida and heading to Texas tomorrow where uh, the restrictions are a lot lighter than other markets, um, you're seeing on-premise just pick back up with crazy velocity. Um, you know, we're talking to a lot of venues here that, can't keep up with the, with the consumers and, you know, they're having a really tough time staffing the bars and, um, and finding, you know, good people to, to come in and work. And so the one benefit that we see being in the, in the canned cocktail spaces, we're really adding a level of convenience and comfort to these venues. Uh, whereas typically if you needed a very uh, kind of a skilled bartender to mix drinks and, and, you know, have that experience, um, you're now forced to bring in people with less experience behind the bar. And that's why I think just cracking a can and just giving it to somebody uh, makes their life a lot easier. So the, the on trade is definitely something that we're putting a lot of emphasis on right now. And I think there's a ton of opportunity coming out of the pandemic. That's good. And I guess the quality really helps as well. The on trade are probably more open to having this product in. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's been really interesting talking to, a lot of different groups over the past few weeks really um, that have just recently started to open up and everybody's looking at redesigning their menus and, and removing certain th items and adding other items. And, you know, the can the canned cocktail category is still very new to a lot of these uh, hospitality groups. They're just not familiar with it. Um, they don't know how it's going to perform in the long run. So some of them have obviously, you know, taken on the likes of, you know, White Claw or Truly or High Noon, which are very established cocktails, canned cocktails. But um, we're, we're seeing a lot of positive response to our beverage because it uses a premium Blanco tequila in the can. So we actually have one and a half ounces of tequila in our can. Um, so if you look at that from a cost per ounce standpoint, which is what a lot of these um, venues kind of really take into consideration, you know, we're able to come in at a similar price point than they're paying for a bottle of tequila, but instead we're adding that level of convenience, which gives them, uh, you know, a reason to want to bring our product in. Yeah, completely get that. Okay. Uh, that's fantastic, man. Really good to hear. Uh, I mean, how long has this whole process been as in from initial product development to getting into market? I was having this conversation with one of my partners yesterday and we were thinking about when we really first kicked this off, it was uh, about October, November of 2018. So um, yeah, it's, it, it's been quite some time. We did a couple of small production runs early on 
uh, just to test the waters, get some feedback. Um, and, you know, we knew very well that the product was always going to be produced in Mexico. So what took the longest time for us was really going through a lot of the regulatory hoops and hurdles with, uh, with the CRT, which ultimately governs the entire tequila industry. Um, because we are using 100% tequila, uh, you have to go through um, a lot of additional layers of, of regulatory approvals and paperwork. And, you know, they really just want to make sure that when you are claiming to use 100% tequila, that you actually are. And that's why you see uh, when you see some of the canned cocktails coming out today that are saying the word tequila on it, um, you'll notice that they don't have the words 100% tequila beside it because it's not actually been certified by the CRT as coming from uh, directly from a distillery and being produced and manufactured in Mexico. So that was what took us a little longer to get to market, I would say, than some of the other products. But at the end of the day, I think it was well worth the wait for us. Um, you know, we learned a lot down there working with the uh, with the different bodies involved in the tequila industry and and really just understanding how the supply chain works. That was that was really um, interesting for me to see that firsthand and, and really how they control the flow of tequila. Um, and because our product is not canned at the source at the distillery, we had to go through uh, an extra level of certification because our our tequila has to get transported from the distillery to our canning facility. Um, so, and that was something that the, the CRT wasn't very familiar with because they haven't kept, they haven't typically seen a lot of products out using hundred percent tequila that are outside of like a glass bottle. So that was something that was relatively new to them. And it took a little extra time for them to, um, you know, approve us as a effectively as a tequila brand to be putting our tequila in a can with other ingredients. Yeah, gotcha. And what other difficulties arose during the whole process? Oh man, I could, you know, we could spend a couple hours talking about uh, some of the war <laughs> stories that right. uh, that we went through. Um, I'm sure there's a good one to share. <laughs> yeah, you know, the best one actually is our distillery is called Tequila Selecto. It's in, it's there in Amatitan, Mexico, which is right in between, kind of right almost halfway in between Guadalajara and the town of Tequila. And to get to the distillery, there is a old tunnel uh, that's probably a couple hundred years old that every single truck and anybody that goes into their distillery has to come in under this tunnel. Um, and it's just an old brick tunnel and it's an old brick road to get there. And when we had originally uh, arranged the truck to go in and pick up the tequila, uh, the truck that was sent was a full 40 foot semi with a trailer on the back and it wasn't able to get through the tunnel. So we then had to transport the tequila in a couple of other big, um, big totes effectively. And we had to drive them across through the tunnel. And then we had to meet on the other side of the highway and we had to transfer the tequila from these totes into a truck using an air pump. And that took us about four and a half hours in, it must've been 85 or 90 degrees that day outside in the, in the Mexican heat. And it was just one of these processes that you go through and I'm kind of standing there the whole time and, and you know, that you couldn't speed up the process fast enough. Right. And unfortunately what that did is we missed our cutoff window to deliver the product to the canning facility. So it sort of threw off our entire production run because the, the, 
the canning facility, obviously they have a very tight, strict schedule for uh, inbounding products. And then, you know, they have everything scheduled pretty much by the day. Um, so it was, uh, you know, it was a, it was a great ex- learning experience for us. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, if you, if you don't go through those trials and tribulations, you know, you just you can't learn. Um, and it was definitely something that caused us a lot of stress and anxiety during the process. But uh, ultimately, we were able to, uh, to get to tequila to the facility and uh, the production run was completed and, and everything tasted great. <laughs> great. Have you um, found a solution to this tunnel issue? Are you still using it? Uh, we are. And the solution is just bringing in a smaller truck. That's, right. uh, <laughs> that's the solution. <laughs> <Okay>. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. So uh, obviously we've got the tequila brand and uh, cold pressed juices. What are some of the products in the cold pressed juice category? So we design our cold pressed juices specifically for the hospitality industry. Um, so the products that we produce are lime, lemon, orange, and grapefruit. Very simple. Um, we didn't want to get too complicating at the time, but now that we're seeing the hospitality industry open back up, um, we're getting requests from some of our customers to develop some pre-mixed virgin cocktails, if you will. So for example, we'll do, um, a margarita mix or a mojito mix, uh, made with, you know, fresh ingredients. And, and, you know, these are, again, a lot of the things that we're seeing now with the hospitality industry, where they're looking at solutions and ways to cut, cut, cut down on costs, cut down on labor. You know, if you think about it, if you have a staff member working behind a bar and cutting up lemons and limes and then juicing them by hand, like those are the type of things that take a lot of time. Um, and also now trying to effectively eliminate a lot of these manual touch points for hygiene reasons, for safety reasons. Uh, when you have staff handling raw fruits and vegetables and having to you know, go through that process manually versus us coming in and saying, well, we can actually de- deliver you a product that is already completed and really high quality and for a better price. Um, so that's really the model that we're pursuing for that line of products is is a high quality citrus juice line designed specifically for bars and restaurants to increase their efficiencies gotcha okay and for those um who are listening who might not know can you tell us what cold pressed is like what is that process yeah you know so there's a lot of people will say cold pressed you'll say fresh squeezed you'll say fresh pressed um there's specific equipment that is designed for um, the cold press juice industry, meaning that you're not applying any heat when it comes to extracting the juice from the whole fruit. Um, so that is really where the term cold press comes into play is it's, it's, uh, it's a pretty cool process because the machinery itself, um, will effectively grind up the fruits or the vegetables into a very fine pulp, like a baby food. And then they'll get put through, um, a, a process which applies a tremendous amount of pressure to the pulp and it will squeeze all of the juice out of the pulp and it leaves the pulp behind. And that's the process that we're using. And, and further to that, we apply another process called high pressure processing, which is a technique that has been in and around um, the juice industry. And also, for example, the meat and seafood industry for many years, um, which involves the use of cold water pressure 
to kill a lot of the bacteria and microorganisms that exist in things like uh, fresh fruit or meat or seafood. Um, and so that's one of the benefits of our product is we have a fresh product that has a shelf life that could be up to a year um, for a juice product, which is something unlike these, a lot of these bars have ever seen before. Yeah, that's um, that's a really long shelf life, actually. And I, I guess um, also you must have a quite a high yield of, you know, that whole process of, of juicing it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and every type of fruit has a different yield, um, you know, and there's also different ways to extract the juice from a citrus uh, than something like an apple, because oftentimes when you when you can when you look at citrus juice um, and you if you include, for example, the peel, um, it adds a bit of a different bitter or flavor taste profile. And so there's different ways to extract the juice out of a citrus fruit versus um, another type of fruit. And so it's it's a pretty interesting process. We have a great partnership with um, with a, uh, a company in Mexico that's one of the largest uh, juice manufacturers in Latin America, and they've been uh, just amazing to work with, and and we're looking forward to continuing to to innovate within that category. Okay, fantastic. So Zach, I'm I'm really interested. Like, um, so your current role is CEO, right, of Bodega Brands? Yeah, that's correct. And can you tell us, like, what does that entail on a on a normal day of work? What do you have to do regularly? Yeah, I don't even know if I can answer that question myself. Um, <laughs> right. It really, I think when it comes to being a startup founder or CEO, um, on any given day, you can be wearing multiple hats. And uh, I constantly find myself in situations where um, I'm sort of acting as uh, an operations in the operations department and then the sales department and then the marketing department and then um, the fundraising department. And, you know, thankfully we have a, I have a great team uh, in place right now and we're continuing to add valuable members to the team. Um, but we're still in relatively a, you know, we're in a high growth mode right now. And um, I'm just finding myself continuing to, uh, to play multiple roles on a daily basis as, um, as we deal with, you know, issues on the supply front um, and then obviously with distribution and sales and marketing and nothing ever goes as planned. Uh, so I think it's, you know, from my standpoint, it's always just about not necessarily always identifying um, the problems. I mean, because the problems are always going to exist. You're never going to be able to avoid, avoid problems, but it's just more so about, okay, when something occurs, you know, trying to, trying to figure out as fast as you can uh, what, the solution for that issue is going to be um, because the more you sit and dwell on certain things, uh, I, I don't think that does anybody any good, especially um, in these sorts of environments. And so to me personally, it's always been about just trying to find solutions and, you know, making sure that everybody on the team also shares those same sentiments because nothing is ever going to be the same two days in a row in this, you know, in this high fast paced uh, startup environment. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that I get up every morning and, uh, you don't know what the day is going to bring, but that's also what creates a lot of the excitement and, uh, um, you know, and opportunities at the same time. And it's just something that I've, I've just kind of 
learned over the last number of years and how to deal with a lot of these different issues that arise and, and how to just continue to move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I fully um, appreciate that. And actually, um, yeah, I sympathize as well. Well, I don't know if I'd say sympathize, but I'm in a similar position where I wear multiple hats on a daily basis and constantly learning actually, which is um, thrilling sometimes, but also challenging too. Um, have you picked up along the way any productivity hacks or anything that um, any management tools that help you um, progress, I guess? Yeah, that's a great question. I think just as you grow and learn as an entrepreneur, um, there are certain things that I think you begin to, to prioritize over other things. And you learn how to um, kind of compartmentalize uh, different you know, parts of the business or different things in your lifestyle that you think work better than others. Um, you know, so there's, you know, there's lifestyle hacks, I think that are extremely important. I mean, just from little things like staying active or taking a nap, you know, I think oftentimes you, you hear too many people say, well, I'm too busy. I'm too busy for this. I, I don't have time to work out. I don't have time to take a nap. I don't have time to do something. And to me, that those are just the types of excuses that people like to give, whether they like to think that they're too busy or they like to portray the image to other people that they're just too busy to do something. Um, but from my standpoint, you know, there's 24 hours in a day, everybody can find time for something. Um, so I think for me, it's just, it's been all about, okay, making sure that I'm staying extremely productive, but also making sure that I'm allocating time to things that can take my mind off of business or, you know, things in my personal life, um, that you enjoy doing that can kind of like almost press that reset button. And, and, you know, let's say you're having a bad morning or, or, you know, something happens in the afternoon and, and, you know, you can kind of just let go of it for an hour or even 45 minutes and then kind of just get back right after that. And so those are some of the things I think you develop as an entrepreneur, just like little bits and pieces of your lifestyle that you start to understand uh, things that can sort of like reset yourself during certain times or certain uh, mindsets that you're in. And that to me has been just super important over the last few years. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that 100%. It's um, those little breaks are so necessary. Sometimes if you just keep pushing you, you end up in a bad place. And yeah, definitely. Well, can you can I ask some of these um, research you have? Is there anything in particular you do any activities or mindfulness or anything? Yeah, so activity wise, um, you know, golf is something that I've really taken a liking to. Um, you know, and I feel like when you play golf, you're putting your, yourself in an entirely different arena with, uh, with, you know, from a mental standpoint, um, which can be a positive or a negative thing because that sport is just completely related to, you know, how you're feeling physically, mainly mentally. Um, you know, I've been really involved in, in the yoga community for the last number of years. Uh, I don't practice on a daily basis, but um, I've found myself uh, putting together just my own little routine sometimes, uh, probably, you know, three, four days a week, I'll practice some yoga in the morning. Um, I've also been introduced to things like, um, you know, breathing exercises, you know, there's a gentleman that I follow, and I'm sure a number of uh, people that are listening might also follow him, his name is Wim Hof. And um, he has just been a huge advocate for, um, you know, ways to kind of you know, neutralize and balance yourself through breathing exercises and things like cold therapy, cold treatment on your body. Um, you know, so there's a lot of different ways, a lot of different 
I would say, you know, methods these days, depending on the type of person you are, depending on how much, how much time you can allocate to these things. Um, but yeah, those are some of the things that I've, I've really kind of taken, taken a liking to. Yeah, I agree. It's, um, he's called the Iceman, right? I think that's what they call him. He's the Iceman. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's, um, he's pretty incredible, actually. I think he's got some videos, so uh, I'll put some links in the show notes. Yeah, thanks for that tip. It's a good one. Yeah, um, he's got some world records, too, for longest time sitting in an ice bath. It's crazy. Yeah, for sure. So um, how about books? Any books you recommend? Any, um, uh, yeah, any resources that you regularly use? Um, you know, I am a big fan of, uh, you know, documentaries. I think that's how I consume a lot of my information. And, and I think like to kind of um, get motivated sometimes by taking in documentaries about, um, you know, different types of people or, or different cultures or those sorts of things. Um, because I haven't necessarily had a lot of time uh, to travel outside of business. You know, I think for me, I just love taking in information with regards to other parts of the world or other pe people's experiences in life and, and, you know, how they got from where they are to, um, you know, to, you know, other points in their life, whether they're positive or negative. So, you know, there isn't necessarily any one that I would pinpoint. Um, but I think just depending on like what your passions are, um, I, Sometimes I, you know, I'm a big sports fan, so I love, you know, I love taking in information about sports teams and there's a ton of great documentaries about, um, you know, sports teams these days and whether it's, you know, the, the football teams the man, man cities, man United, NFL teams, hockey teams. And I just love seeing sort of the structure of those organizations and how they're put together and how well they're run like a well-oiled machine. And I try to take information from a lot of these different, um, you know, documentaries or, or things that I'm seeing and apply them to my business and say, well, you know, we're not quite at that stage where we have the ability to hire 20 or 30 people, but, you know, looking ahead and looking forward, you know, what can I do as an entrepreneur, as a CEO to sort of build an organization like that and, and lead by example. Um, so those are the, a lot of the types of things that I take in for information. I've never been, um, you know, big into the, um, you know, sort of the, 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 the fiction related, uh, category, whether it's like books or, or TV shows. Um, for me, it's all about just like real life experiences. And, uh, I think that's something I'll continue to, to keep an eye on. Brilliant. <clears throat> Thanks for that. I appreciate it. So, um, moving on and we'll finish up quite soon, but still a few more questions to go. Um, so thanks once again. Um, <clears throat> I mean, having spent time in, in Mexico, and with the tequila producers, the tequila category has grown um, exponentially recently over the last sort of couple of years. And there's a lot of celebrities that have got involved and, and started producing their own tequila. But I also hear there's some negative impacts on, on the region itself, um, particularly in regards to um, the agave not being able to produce enough. Do you, do you see any of this in your line of work or have you noticed any other um, issues that have arisen from this rise in popularity? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you look at it from, you know, from an overall, from the agave industry, from, uh, from very high level, I think there's positive and negatives you can take from all of this attention being put towards the industry. 
Um, one, it's, it, you know, there's people around the world that are, that now have their eyes on, on tequila as a spirit and on the agave spirits, which I think is a positive thing. Um, but again, you know, some of the cons or the negatives are, you know, it, it's sort of taking away, I think, from sort of the authenticity and the traditions and the real integrity of the, of the spirit itself. Um, when you see people that are going down maybe with different intentions than others, right? Um, and those intentions could be, you know, just to capitalize on opportunities from a monetary standpoint or from a branding standpoint, for example. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, it, it happens naturally, not just with, with the agave space, but it, it happens when opportunities exist. Um, and that's never going to stop. But from a supply standpoint, again, you're seeing now, I'm having conversations every day with our team down in Mexico, and we're hearing things, for example, like agave pinas are now getting harvested um, earlier than they ever have before. For example, typically you'd like to wait somewhere between five to seven years to harvest a pina to, you know, make sure it's at its optimal level of maturity. Um, but now you're seeing pinas get taken out of the ground somewhere between as early as three years, four years. Um, so that to me is, a, you know, not a great sign for the industry because I think when, when things like that start to happen, um, you know, you lose a lot of the quality aspects. It's like when you, when you eat a fruit, that's not completely ripe, it just doesn't taste the same. Um, you know, you, you would never want to eat a green banana, right? It's just something that you want to wait a couple more days for it to ripen. And then when it's, you know, you, you know, right. And I think the people on the inside in the agave industry, like they know what's going on, but they're forced into a position where they have to do these sorts of things in order to keep up with the demand. Um, which is unfortunate. And, you know, you, I don't think they can plant agave fast enough, but right now it's like you, you can't plant one and just expect it to grow overnight. I mean, this is a long process. Um, but what, you know, what's very exciting for me is the fact that, you know, the blue Weber agave plant is one of a couple hundred species of, of, of that agave. So, you know, you're seeing, spirits like mezcal and ricea start to rise in popularity um which i think is great just for the agave spirits category in general and and we're continually evaluating opportunities outside of you know the tequila space and seeing okay what can we do with mezcal what can we do with ricea um are there other opportunities for for agave spirits that you know are even sort of more under the radar than those ones right and um, so I think overall, uh, you know, the category itself has a lot of attention on it right now. And, um, you know, it's just going to take guys like us to continue to, uh, you know, to push forward and innovate and, and continue to produce quality products at the end of the day. Yeah, no, good, good. Um, good to hear that insight as well. Um, so you, would you ever do a mezcal product, a mezcal canned cocktail? Uh, Absolutely. I don't think we would rule anything out at this point. We want to obviously remain focused on, on the current product that we have. Um, we've talked about extending into other, other tequila varieties like a Reposado or a Añejo um, in a can. I think those would be really cool products. But again, all, have, all comes down to the price of the agave at that point in time. And, and some, you know, it may or may not make sense for us uh, from a unit cost standpoint. Um, I personally, I, I think Ricea is an amazing, amazing spirit. I don't know if you've tried it, but uh, to me, it's kind of a bit of a blend between tequila and mezcal. 
A lot of people think mezcal is a little too smoky. Um, tequila may taste sort of uh, a little too bland to some people. Um, so yeah, I think there's just, there's a lot of cool opportunities down there right now. Um, we're looking at actually investing in some land and, and planting our own agave just as a bit of a side hobby. Uh, so that in five to seven years, you know, we might have access to our own and we don't have to worry about anything else. But again, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's something that we have to stay patient with. Right. But it's worth the wait, right? That's the thing. Absolutely. It's like investing in real estate. You know, it's, uh, you know you're not going to see those dividends overnight, but uh, I don't think the agave industry is going anywhere anytime soon. Um, so these long-term plays, I think they'll, they will pay off. Good. So, I mean, I, I really would love to try a can one day. So you'll have to send over a pack to, to Thailand. But for those of my listeners in, in America, where can they find um, these amazing can cocktails? So, yeah, we just launched a new website. It's sipecho.com. And on the site, you will be able to pull up a list of our locations uh, across Canada and the U.S., we also do have an online store where we can ship to uh, over 30 states across the U.S. and as well as across Canada. Um, so, and on Instagram, it's at Sipetcho. We are, uh, yeah, we're continuing to open new markets. We're continuing to explore opportunities, and and um, you know, we're just excited to see what uh, what the category has in store and how we can continue to be a part of it. Brilliant. Zach, thanks so much for joining me today on The Bat Bar. Uh, for the listeners, all of those links will be in the show notes. Um, thanks for sharing your journey, man. Uh, great to hear about your story. Thanks, and uh, I appreciate having me on. Love the platform, and uh, you know, happy to connect on, on tequila and juice anytime, so let me know. Thanks a lot, man. Talk soon. <laughs> Alrighty, thanks. <laughs>